With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the History Unplugged podcast. The unscripted show that celebrates unsung heroes, myth busts historical lies, and rediscovers the forgotten stories that changed our world. I'm your host, Scott Rank. Hi, welcome to one of those in-between episodes where I answer any question that you have about history. Today's question comes from Tony Swan, and he asks, Is there any record of children in England being born where their father was a German prisoner of war? Thanks for the question, Tony. This dives into a sensitive topic in the history of World War II. If you watch the Band of Brothers series, which follows uh, Easy Company, it was a company within the 101st Marines, there's one episode where they liberate a town in Holland, and the villagers are gladly greeting them, women come up to kiss the American soldiers, and the soldiers notice that there's a group of Dutch villagers surrounding a woman and shaving her head and hurling insults at her. Someone asks, what did she do? Why are they treating her like this? She's Dutch. And somebody responds, well, she slept with the Germans. Later in the episode, you see the woman by a roadside holding a baby, and the American soldiers give her some food. Well, that is something that did happen as punishment for women who cavorted with German soldiers. There are a lot of images coming from France in 1944 after it was liberated. There are pictures of shaven-headed women gathered together, cradling their babies that are implicitly the result of a relationship with a German soldier or officer. Why were women's heads shaven? This is a punishment that goes back to biblical origins, where that's the way that you would shame a woman, taking away sort of the pride of her beauty. This practice was also followed in Europe in the Dark Ages with the Visigoths. In the Middle Ages, this mark of shame was commonly a punishment for adultery. But shaving a woman's head as a mark of retribution and humiliation was reintroduced in the 20th century. When French troops occupied the Rhineland in 1923, German women who had relations with them had their heads shaven, and during the Second World War, the Nazi state ordered that German women accused of sleeping with non-Aryans or foreign prisoners employed on farms should also be publicly punished in this way. Now, many French people, as well as Germans, were sickened by this treatment because there were a lot of women who, it's not fair to say that they were just out there flirting with the enemy and selling out their home country. Some were just silly teenagers who associated with German soldiers out of boredom. In some cases, there were female school teachers who, living alone, had German soldiers billeted on them and were falsely denounced as having slept with them. And many of these victims were young mothers. Their husbands were Frenchmen and German prisoners of war camps. During the war, they had no means of support, 
and their only hope of obtaining food for themselves and their children was to accept a liaison with a German soldier. Some of these women were paraded through town. They were marked with swastikas and paint or lipstick. So the getting back to Tony's question was, did something like this happen in England? And was there the same type of moral disgust? Well, something like this did happen in England. And it wasn't quite the same because, well, England wasn't occupied by France, even though England suffered terribly from German bombings. It didn't have that same type of uh, direct tactile relationship with German invaders who came into their home country. Ten years ago, the Daily Mail put out a story about a British woman and a German POW who celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary in 2007. In 1947, 18-year-old June married Heinz Felbrick, 25 years old, who was a German POW. Their courtship began in January of 1947. And four months later, June actually wrote a Dear John letter to her Royal Marine boyfriend when she became pregnant. Okay, so here's the context of what happened. In late 1939, the first prisoners of war arrived in Britain and were held in two camps. Their numbers were small because the government was reluctant to accept POWs while the threat of Nazi invasion was imminent. But there were more than 600 camps by war's end. More than 400,000 POWs were being held in Britain in 1946, the year after World War II ended. And Atlee's government refused to repatriate the Germans until well after the war was over. Now, America had even more German POWs, and I touched on that topic in a previous episode. But understand that when you have a large population of males, there's almost a law of physics that there's going to be some attraction with the female population, no matter how nasty feelings were between the two countries during the time of war. There will be individual relationships and feelings that will pop up that really have nothing to do with the wider implications of the war effort. June even said when she was 79 years old that commenting on all the hostility toward her and Heinz, I could understand it because people had lost loved ones in the war, but all that mattered to me was that I loved Heinz. So during 1946, up to one-fifth of all farm work in Britain was being done by unpaid German POWs, which was helpful for all the men that were killed, and they were employed on roadworks and building sites. There was a ban on fraternization between them on civilians, but it was lifted just before Christmas 1946. Many British people were willing to put the war behind them and move on with their lives, and they even welcomed POWs into their home. About 250,000 German POWs had been returned by the end of 1947, and the last were repatriated in 1949, but approximately 24,000 decided to stay in Britain because they'd met a British girl because their hometowns were in Russian-held territory, and they didn't want to go to a Soviet POW camp, that's for sure. So here's a story about how June meets Heinz. She commented that a couple of her friends were seeing German POWs, and one day she cycled to the camp with them. They were chatting over the fence of their boyfriends, and she said that she saw Heinz and said to my friend Amy, he's a bit of all right. She told her boyfriend, who brought Heinz over, and she says that he was handsome and tall with wavy hair. At the time, the two could hardly speak any English. Well, prisoners of war at that time were allowed out of camp during the day, but had to be back by dusk. Heinz and his friends would dig a ditch under the barbed wire, however, and crawl out at night to meet their sweethearts. June had to keep it secret because she had a boyfriend who was stationed near Kent with the Royal Marines, and she says they would go on long walks together and eventually fell in love. She told her father at one point, and he said bring him home for lunch, so she did, and he was actually okay with it, although her mother wasn't so happy. Well, fast forward to the story where June gets pregnant, 
and then they decide to get married, and they do so on August 14, 1947. June wore a blue suit borrowed from a friend, and other German POWs made Heinz a brown suit without the orange patches. June was the first British woman to marry a German POW. This was right after Clement Attlee's post-war government's decision to lift the ban on fraternization and marriage, so the marriage wouldn't even have been legal a few months earlier. And his decision to lift the ban was so controversial, it made newspaper headlines. Other German POWs played a oompa band at the reception at the Labor Hall, and when the couple emerged, they were greeted with flashbulbs from newspaper photographers. Heinz had to return to the BOW camp at 10 p.m. sharp. He was given permission to leave by the camp commandant to marry, and their quote-unquote wedding night took place the following day at June's home where Heinz was allowed to visit his new wife. He was released from the POW camp one week before their oldest son Peter was born. While the couple had difficulties, of course, in their early marriage, they received two sacks loads of hate mail, and most of it was negative, but June said there was one nice letter that says, you can't choose who you fall in love with, just be happy. Well, the couple had six children, four boys and two girls. So it goes to show that when we think about the animosity between nations, that doesn't mean that it's being felt by every single person at every time. You'll find fraternization in places you would never expect it and even love and marriage. Well, thank you for the question. If any of you would like to submit one, you can go to historyunpluggedpodcast.com. There you'll find instructions, and I look forward to answering anything that you throw at me. Thanks for listening to the History Unplugged podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get your daily dose of all things history-related from ancient Greece to the Cold War. You can do that by going to historyonthenet.com forward slash subscribe. Speaking of History on the Net, if you want to dive deeper, go to our site historyonthenet.com and there you'll find blog posts, book reviews, and all of our other podcast episodes. Plus, don't forget to rate and review this podcast so we can bring you the best daily history content possible. We'll see you next time at the History Unplugged podcast. This episode is brought to you by Calitrin. Text the word UNPLUG to 30605 and I'll send you a link to a wonderful product that can help you finally succeed in shedding that extra weight. I took Calitrin for several weeks last year and I felt great in several ways. I felt stronger, my workouts felt easier, I slept better, I was noticeably trimmer, there was no downside. Text the word UNPLUG to 30605 right now to see this week's special offer on Calitrin. Calitrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calitrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calitrin has an 86% success rate with their 90-day supply, and this week, take advantage of my special offer. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is easy. Just text the word UNPLUGGED to 30605 and I'll send you a link to the special offer. Again, text UNPLUGGED to 30605. The history of the Popes of Rome and Christianity reaches into nearly every aspect of history. In the History of the Papacy podcast, we step over the rope. We dive in to discover more about the people, events, and background that define the influence of the Popes of Rome and Church, not only on the West, but the world. To start listening now, go to ParthenonPodcast.com or search for History of the Papacy on your favorite podcast platform.